to Nehemiah chapter 9. We are making our way through Nehemiah, kind of a little slower pace, but we're making our way, getting closer and closer, only 13 chapters, so pretty soon we'll be through the whole thing. All right, well, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we'll pick it up in verse 1. Father, now as we just turn our attention to your word, we ask that you'd move through our hearts and through our midst, Lord, and just speak to us as you're so faithful to do through your word, Lord. Um, we pray that you would just, again, just draw us into a deeper and deeper relationship with you, that, uh, Father, that was just uh, it's what we all desperately need, Father, and maybe you just, again, reveal yourself in a powerful way to us tonight, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you know, we left off, uh, you know, last time the wall has been finished. Uh, you know, they, you know, through all the opposition and then they were faithful to, you know, break out the word. We talked about that last time. Ezra was reading the law and we know that there was, you know, at first there was this these tears and, uh, you know, there were kind of, you know, hearing God's word, and maybe for the first time, it kind of seems like that's when a lot of them just heard it for the first time. And, you know, they said, no, it's not a place to cry right now. It's a place of celebrating what God's done, that we're back here in the land, and everything is, is you know, uh, He is working in our lives. And, you know, Ezra just went through along with those other Levites, reading God's word, and then explaining it to them. And we talked about, I just I believe that's just such the um, uh, way, you know, God intended it to be, to, to give it um, the word and then to give it sense, meaning, and the application of it. And of course, that's what they were doing. And that's, you know, obviously what we try to do here is reading God's word and then giving application to it. And so, you know, there was just a great time and they celebrated the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles because they read it. Oh man, wait, it's the seventh month. We should be celebrating this. And so they did that. And they spent a whole nother week because that was about a week-long feast or celebration. And, uh, you know, they responded to the Word of God. It was a wonderful thing. And uh, they're, uh, you know, spending that time and then they hear it in God's Word and they just put it, okay, let's do it. You know, that's what it says to do and we're going to do it. And so we're still now in that seventh month. Although uh, now a few weeks has gone by, and so verse 1 tells us, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Verse 2 says, Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up, in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for one quarter of the day and for another fourth, I'm sorry, one fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshiped the Lord, their God. So now they're gathered back again on the 24th day and they're gathered together in the temple very humbly. They're, they're showing mourning for their sin and what the Word of God had revealed to them was that, you know, again, this was what we call the, the Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. And they were supposed to, this is that one day a year when they were gathering, which was supposed to be, 
you know, very serious and uh, reflective on your sin. Um, and it was uh, the one feast, if you would, that one day of it would be just, you know, uh, of humbling yourself and admitting your sins. And the, there was a lot that they did within the temple services. That's, a, that's the, the one day a year where the high priest would go into the most holy place, you know, where the Ark of the Covenant is. He would go in there once for himself, sacrificing, you know, uh, putting the blood on, on the altar for one sacrifice, and then he would do that for the people. So he'd go in there twice, uh, one day a year, and this is the day that he would go in there. So, you know, they, they read about this, and the Word you know, of God had revealed that this is something they need to do and reflect on, part of God's plan. And, of course, we know that this was, you know, the law was given, and, you know, as we go through the Old Testament, we go through the Old Covenant, and, you know, again, some, you know, we can have this tendency of, you know, it's just, that stuff was, you know, for them, and it's not really relevant, and, you know, it's not, it's just kind of old, or however, you know, a lot of times we can think about it as, as Christians, but just remember that was God's perfect law, and, and, and everything about it is good and right. So we, we can't discount that. Now, thankfully, we're under the new covenant, but, but that was the heart of God for his people, for the nation. Of course, he's dealing with people of many nations now under the new covenant uh, rather than one uh, group of people from one nation. And so obviously, um, you know, some of the things that they would do for, for laws and so forth as one nation uh, were different. But... The point is, you know, the law was given and it's God's perfect law. And when you look at, this is the requirements, this is what God's called you to live and how to live, how to worship Him, how to live with others, how to, you know, treat everybody in society this way and others outside and, you know, how to come to the Lord, how to deal with these things, you know, and you look at that and then you look at your life and you realize how far short that you fall and that you really miss the mark. And that's really what sin means. And so uh, this was that day to recognize that. But the law was good and that law pointed that out. Again, you know, the, the first five books usually we refer to as the law. Sometimes it refers to just Deuteronomy. But, you know, in this case, you know, it's, it's those first five books. And, um, you know, they could see that. This is the God's standard and this is how we're living. Um, that's what that's the purpose of it, though, right? And uh, uh, you know, Galatians uh, three twenty four, and I'll put that that verse up here. You know, kind of explains that to us. We get that explained to us in the new New Testament or the New Covenant, and it says, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Or, uh, and again, uh, you know, I like the, the King James puts it as a schoolmaster. But, it, you know, we're told pretty clearly that it, you, you can see that you can't make it. I can't do it. I have to keep going back and offering, you know, these sacrifices for my sin. I need to keep doing this and doing this. And, you know, it's this never-ending thing. And I just, quite frankly, can't even do it uh, enough to, to cover all the sins. And, and that was the point, is that to see that how far short we uh, fall from God's perfect law. 
And uh, they see that in that Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur as it's referred to today, you know, just really brings that out. And so they're coming in the right way, mourning over sin. And notice that verse 2 says they had separated themselves from the influences of the world, maybe we could say, or the non-Jews uh, at that time, uh, the influences of the world. They just, you know, it wasn't like, hey, you know, we're, we're setting all that aside and we're just, you know, you know, we're, we're gathering together as, you know, the Jews. And we'll talk about this in the next chapter or so about some of the things that have to do with that. But basically, I think for all intent purchase purposes here, uh, you know, they're, you can think of it as separating themselves from, from the influences of the world. And, and then, of course, they confess their sins, verse, end of verse 2 says, of their fathers. You know, what the generations before had done. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, they didn't really commit those sins. But what they do, and what we see repeated, you know, many times in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, the book of Acts, when he's referring, you know, to the Jewish history, um, you know, they confess those sins because they realize it had an impact on them. It did influence them. What their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents and all that, you, they understood that there was influence from all those previous generations that got them to the point where they, where they were then. And I think that's you know, it's a, it's a, you know, a good thing to recognize. Now, again, we're not a slave to those things. And some people say, well, you know, I'm stuck in this position or I'm like this because, you know, that's, you know, I grew up this way. And, you know, I, you've probably run into many people as I have that continue to, to you know, the, their parents and family are long dead decades and they're still talking about them. Uh, you know, as that they were caused them to be a certain way. But they were, in, you know, they were talking about the influence of that sin. And I like this quote um, that says this. It says from Spurgeon, it says, Repentance grows as faith grows. Do not make any mistake about it. Repentance is not a thing of days and weeks. A temporary penance to be got over as fast as possible. No, it is the grace of a lifetime, like faith itself. Repentance is the inseparable companion of faith. And, and I like that because they realize that, you know, uh, again, we, we, we miss the mark. You know, there's sin in our life and there's just this repentance. And we need to, you know, always be humble before God and asking for forgiveness. And that's true even in our day. And so they, again, this last day, there's, you know, they're, this day, they're, they're confessing their sins and they're reading from the Bible and they spend three hours reading, three hours praying and confessing their sin. And again, I, I think it's just a good, good thing to do. You know, we, we kind of do that a little bit, um, you know, remembering what the Lord has done for us in communion. I think, you know, some great application for this in communion where you, you know, remembering what the Lord's done and you're kind of catching up to date with your sins and you're proclaiming, you know, that, you know, you're redeemed and you're going to heaven. And there's some great components of communion that, that you know, kind of talk about something similar to, to what they were doing here. And um, I think that's pretty cool.
uh, you know, they're, they, the Word of God's impacted their life, and you can just see it. And now, verse 4 says, Then these guys, Jeshua, Beniah, Kadimal, Shebaniah, Beniah, Sherebiah, Beniah, and there's a couple of Beniahs here, huh? And Shehaniah stood um, on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, and you can read all their names, and a lot of them have very similar names, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Bless, blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, you and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. So you like this. I, you, know, I, you know, you can kind of picture, you know, these guys up there, you know, uh, you know, up there, and they're up again kind of high so people can hear them and see them. And then, you know, some of the Levites and, you know, just kind of break out by, you know, worshiping, as it said at the end of verse 3, you know, uh, worshiping the Lord and speaking who He is, His majesty and His glory. Um, uh, you know, and Jesus kind of outlined it and started his, what we call the Lord's Prayer um, in the same kind of way, you know, just recognizing the majesty, who He is, and His glory. Uh, that's exactly what they're doing here. And you think, well, you know, well, we all know that. Everybody knows that. Certainly He knows that. He doesn't need to be reminded of that. But I, I think it does something to us. It's important for us to remember because... We remember who he is. You know, read it. It's he's you know made the heavens and the heavens of heavens. And again, in the Bible, you know, the heavens are talked about really in three different ways, right? There's the the atmosphere of the earth, you know, and then there's the everything out past that. We'd say outer space, all the way out to you know past where the Hubble telescope peers and all that stuff out space. And then there's uh, as referred to. Paul says of the third heaven, you know, that's the, the throne uh, or the dominion of God, uh, you know, in the third heaven. So you got the idea of the heaven and the heavens, heavens. It's just, he just created everything. And uh, when we think about these things and who he is and his glory and his majesties, it makes the difficulties in our lives uh, not so overwhelming. Uh, it, you know, hard things seem to be a little bit easier when we realize and remember, we realize this, but when we remember how great and powerful and awesome He is, that He is in control of everything. And, uh, you know, so there, there, there's great peace and great, you know, uh, awe and, uh, that we can have by just recognizing how great and powerful and awesome He is. Remember what He did and and when you compare that to the situation you're confronted with or difficulties or heartaches or heartbreaks and, you know, these things that seem very big, and I'm not saying they're not very big, but when you compare to how great he is, um, you know, those problems all of a sudden, you know, in comparison to him aren't, wow, he could just take care of that with a, you know, snap of his finger or a look of his eye or whatever, you know, he, he is great and awesome. And that's what they're doing here. 
But, uh, you know, uh, now um, it's time for them to remember what he specifically has done for them as a nation. So the priests are going to recite their whole history up to that day. You know, he's going to give them now the good and the bad. And uh, again, uh, you know, they're going to kind of go through the whole history. Now, I remember they just a few weeks prior to this, they're, they're reading through the word. And so now, you know, a lot of them uh, have heard the history and they know this. Now, I imagine Ezra and there was some of them that that knew much of this already, but there was many that, that didn't. And again, you know, now they can reflect on all that God has done. And they're going to talk about the good and the bad uh, and their history. But I, I think, again, that's got great application for us too, right? We can reflect on the history in our lives and his work in it. You know, just look back at the work he's done in our lives. Look back at our own personal history and our relationship with the Lord. I mean, that's a whole other great thing to do. Yep, there was good, and there, yep, there was bad, and there was everything in between. But looking back on that, where I failed, and Lord, you know, did I learn from all that, move away from that? And, and you know, and, and in these areas, wow, you did these great things that, you know, I just couldn't have imagined, you know, where you brought me from and where, where I am now and the great things you've done in between and how you've blessed me with so much and, you know, not just material things, but this and that. And there's so much we can, you know, we can look back and rejoice and learn from by even reviewing our own history because we have a history. You have a history. And, you know, we look back and he's never let us down, never left us or forsaken us. And the times, you know, he hasn't maybe answered the prayers in the way that we thought or in the time we, we wanted. We, when we look back at those things sometime later, years later, usually you can say, well, Lord, you know, if you had done it any other way, you know, it would have been all messed up. And it gives us hope and reassurance for today. This is at will for these guys as well. So if you can kind of picture it, and I don't know if that slide gives you some idea and pictures, you know, what, what it looked like here. But now they're going to be talking about the history. Verse 7, And you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Gergashuites, to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. So again, they're going to start back with Abraham, and at the end of the chapter, they're going to be all the way up to date with what they are. And, you know, they look back and say, you know, you started with one man, this man named Abraham, who you changed. You know, uh, from Abram to Abraham, and you know that was father to father of many nations. That was kind of the, the idea of it. But with, through one guy, uh, you changed his heart, and he just walked in faith with you, and that's what started all this. You know, all that you did through us, and all the work that you did through us. It's you know remembering that. And again, the New Testament talks about this in Hebrews chapter eleven. If you you know, I look at verse 8 and 9, and it says, By faith Abraham, when he, I'm sorry, when called to go to a place 
he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in, a, in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. You see, you know, he, the Lord changed his heart. And, you know, Abraham stepped out in faith and trusted him and followed the Lord's leading into the land that he had never been. And then, you know, the Lord gave him all these promises that, you know, yeah, you're, you, know, you don't own any of this land here, but one day, you're, you know, your descendants are going to do that. And they are going to own it. And they're going to possess all the land that you walked in and walked from the north to the south, from the east to the west. You know, all that is going to be, you know, belong to your family one day. And they could look and say, yeah, we did. God kept his promise. They can see, you know, how like, they could even see a little bit of Abraham in them, right? Because, you know, they came back from Babylon and they came back to Israel, much like their forefather Abraham, making that kind of the same journey from the same general area, at least, coming back to, you know, uh, Jerusalem and Israel, like God had told them to do. You know, stepping out in faith and coming back to the land. And again, they could see it through Abraham. He was a great example to them and a reminder that he keeps his promises. One thing I want us to notice, too, as we, we go through this prayer, you know, it says God gave over 16 times. God gave them this, God gave them this, God gave them. You know, it's great. He's a giver. And one of the things that's a re repeating, you know, phrase to, that they might understand and get, that they see as they review their history of this as, as a people. So after Abraham, and it says, verse 9, you saw the affliction of our fathers in, in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Verse 10, you showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself, as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep, as a stone into mighty waters. And so again, you know, you saw, Lord. You saw what was going on with your people. You, you didn't overlook their suffering and their mistreatment. No, you knew exactly what was going on. You had a plan and a promise. And it involved both the Hebrews and the Egyptians that both could see who you really are. You know, it's always good to review the, the Exodus pa passages, you know, when Moses is doing the miracles and, you know, bringing them out and, and, and all those plagues coming. But, you know, the Lord repeats over and over again, not only that his people might see, but all the Egyptians might see who he really is. And by the end of it, you know, it even says that a lot of them had respect Moses and a lot of the people had respect for the Lord. And, you know, they understood how great he was compared to all the idols that they had worshipped, which is one of the things the Lord wanted to do. And, 
I can't help but to think, you know, some of those that tagged along with them leaving the land were, were Egyptians. And we know that there was some that went with them. And they both could see. Now, there was certainly Pharaoh and his proud heart, and there was some of the leaders along with him that wanted to use them and uh, use them cruelly, but God wasn't going to, uh, you know, overlook that and overlook their suffering. He was going to take care of it, and he did have a plan and a promise. And one of the big things he took care of was their greatest threat, really, at that time, was the Egyptian army, right? I mean, they, these guys were a bunch of slaves. You know, they built things and probably just did all the manual labor all over the country for all different kinds of things. They weren't soldiers. They weren't trained for battle. And yet you had the greatest army of the world at that time, arguably, coming after them. You know, you see them coming up behind them. Remember, God put a, a cloud between them. Uh, you know, uh, so they couldn't get to each other during the night as he was parting the Red Sea and, and, you know, it looked like they were done. But God took care of them. Again, against impossible odds, he had taken care of them. Great reminder for us against impossible odds. What's impossible in our lives? You know, just like he took care of them. And then moreover, verse 12 says, you led them by day with a pillar, a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also from Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and you gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments that you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts statues and law by the hand of Moses, your servant. And you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. So again, you know, talking about leading them out. They're going into a desert. I mean, a desert, a desert. And, you know, there was a couple million people which would be impossible to feed and to have enough to drink, not counting all the animals that they had taken with them as well. And, you know, again, reminding how the Lord took care of all their needs, right? All of them. From, you know, a cloud which brought, you know, some sort of shade in the desert heat and a pillar of fire at night which would bring some heat on the cold desert nights and also provide light for them to see as it says there you know he took care of them in every way took care of them you know jesus said the same thing remember what he told that how he cares for us he says don't worry about this and don't worry about that that's what everybody else does but your father knows your needs before you need them Listen, the father knows when one little sparrow drops dead out of a tree or is hit by a car or whatever, you know, he knows that. How much more you, his children, he took care of them, he's going to take care of us. And Jesus had a lot to say about that, you know, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, so much to say. I could go on and on about them. He cares for us, takes care of them in, in every way. 
And then, of course, you know, it said he gave them the law. So they know how to live with each other, how to act, how to worship. You know, they had all that. He, he gave them everything that they needed to, you know, what, what would be the, the great way to live as a group of people, as a nation? You know, for so many years, right, we've, we had the Ten Commandments in, in schoolrooms and uh, in courthouses. And so much of our constitution and our laws were based on a lot of the principles and premises uh, out of the Old Testament um, law given by God because it was good. It was recognized very clearly for, you know, even at that point, almost a couple thousand years or more than that, three or four thousand years, how great it really was, how great a society really would be following those precepts and those, those ordinances. And again, so important. You know, just and if people just live by all that, what a great place it would be to live. Those things were all good, and those things were all right. And again, he did that out of love. How you get along, understands human nature. That we get mad at each other, or you know, somebody, you know. There are some people that will try to take advantage of others. And my phone is on. That's pretty bad when the pastor's phone's on, huh? Um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, that he knows all those things. He takes care of all that. He knows how we should live together and those that will do things that they shouldn't and how to deal with that and how to get them back and how to stop that from spreading and that kind of attitude to continue on throughout the community and throughout the nation. I mean, they're all great things. It would make it a, just such a great place to live if everybody kept all those. So we're talking about what he gave and what he did and what he's providing, and let's see what how the people reacted to that, all that he had done. Verse 16, But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commands. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. They hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made molded calves for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercy, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way that they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouths and gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Now, you know, I, I don't know about you, but... Um, you know, those are some great underlinable verses here. I mean, I think that's great. Even with all that they did, 
you know, verse 18 is just, you know, I'm sorry, verse 17, um, at the end there, that last sentence, you know, you're God, you're ready to pardon, you're gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you didn't forsake them. You know, even though uh, you provided and you did and you did all this thing and, and they acted proudly and you remember them going through the wilderness how they would just reject and argue and fight and why do we have to do this and why can't we go back and all this stuff and when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments and you know describe you know we're got finger of God on the on the two pieces of stone uh, you know uh, you know come back and they built this calf you know that Aaron say hey, I, I threw some gold in the fire and out popped this calf you know it was just the craziest thing you know it's like dealing with six-year-old giving an excuse why they ate cookies and stole them out of the cookie jar or whatever, right? But, you know, uh, you, you know, even in all that, and they're forsaking, right? He, to the point where they're worshiping some, something else, literally when weeks earlier, God brought them out and showed them all the miracles and brought them out in a powerful hand, and they're really t- ready to turn them back just weeks after that. And say some metal idol that came out of the fire did it, right? But God, he didn't just slam them. He's still gracious. He was compassionate, slow to anger. He continued to guide for them and instruct them and provide for them. He didn't throw in the towel. He didn't give up on his promises, even with their actions. I like what it says. Our God is ready to pardon. He still desires to do that this very day. He didn't throw them away. He didn't shun them. He didn't shut them down and give up on them. He didn't do it then. He's not going to do it now. We we had a tough chapter on Sunday. We went through 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you were with us. And we talked about sin in the church, and this man was you know, living with his stepmother. I mean, like living like they're married and pretty sure she wasn't even a believer. I mean, his step, I mean there was just so many things wrong with that. And, you know, and, and, you know, they're addressing the sin in the church and what the church needs to do and how they need to address it. Very difficult thing. And, you know, you know Paul's, what you need to, you need to just say, move, you can't be in the church. And I don't want to go into talking about all that, but you just, you, you need to, you know, say you're not welcome in a church. You know, either you know you choose to do what the Lord wants you to do, or you choose to live your life how you want to do. But you can't do both, and it was a real difficult thing. But as it said then, you know, the whole purpose of that was that you might bring him back, that he might be restored, that there might be reconciliation, that he might realize that this life of sin is not worth it. I'm, what I'm giving up, Lord, following you and being with your people and church and all that's involved is not worth any of this. And it was all to bring him back, to pardon him. And we see that's the heart of God, ready to pardon. You know, they did a lot of things messed up when Nehemiah uh, got there. And they're going to do some more messed up things as we'll read the end of Closer to Nehemiah. But again, remembering that he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, ready to pardon, abundant in kindness, and did doesn't give up on us. What, what a great thing to remember. 
didn't withhold the manna from their mouth, didn't continue to feed them and give them water and take care of them. You know, their clothes didn't wear out, their feet didn't swell. It could have, you know, well, okay, I'll, I'll take care of you because you're going to die of starvation. But man, it's going to be miserable on your feet. I'm going to give you blisters, you know, or you're going to not have any clothes because they're going to wear, you know, none of that. Not at all. So important that we remember how great God is and how His nature and His character. And then verse 22 says, Moreover, you gave them kingdoms of the nations. You divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sion, um, the land of Heshbon, the land of Og, the king of Basham, or Basham, they also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you told their forefathers to go in and possess. And so the people went in and passed, uh, possessed the land, I'm sorry. They, you subdued before them inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and you gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat. So even though they rebelled and they did their own thing and they went their own direction, God still provided for them and took care of them, wanted to reconcile them. And then he brought them into the promised land. And he let them conquer these two areas, this Shion and Og. You know, it's on the east side of the, the Jordan. And, and um, you, you know, uh, and, and then brought them into the promised land under Joshua and, and gave them victory in all these battles. Again, you know, zero battle experience. Zero, you know, uh, army. Now, they did fight some of the Amalekites on the way there. They did have one battle, but... But again, you know, we're talking that was the other generation. <laughs> so these guys haven't even seen any war at all. And, and the reality is they didn't have the skill or the ability to defeat these strong kingdoms in the natural. There was just no way. These vic victories came uh, with the blessing of the land and they enjoyed them because of God's goodness. They enjoyed those victories and and possessed the land, not because they were capable, not because they were had some tight plans from the generals and, and were great fighters and all this and that, not at all. It was by God's goodness. And when they moved in, they had everything. It's just kind of hard to picture that, you know? You, you know, I, I've never rented a furnished apartment or anything like that, but I... You know, it, I, I, you know, can you imagine just going in and everything is there ready for you? And God, you know, you have a place to live and, and you have a, a business or a job you could do. You know, everything's provided for you. Everything, just walking in and everything is done. I, I guess the closest thing that maybe we have to that is if we went home to live with our parents or something and they're still around. You know, everything is provided for, I guess. You know, maybe you did that in your teens or 20s or something like that. You live back home for a little bit or something where everything was... I don't know, I'm just trying to give you some idea, but, you know, that's what God gave them. And, again, um, I, I just... 
you know, they ate and were filled and grew fat. Um, uh, again, uh, they just delighted themselves in um, your great goodness. I mean, that's just an amazing verse, right? Um, you know, it would... It would give them great hope for the people in that day. Just think about it, because they're still under the Persian thumb, as we'll see here. And, um, you know, they're certainly outgunned by even the neighbors around them. The surrounding uh, nations have, even their smaller militias, were nothing compared to, to the Jews. They were just, didn't have that. And compared to the Persian kingdom, you know, they were insignificant as a fly, pretty much. But, you know... They could look back and say, well, we were pretty insignificant, certainly against the Egyptian army, certainly against, you know, Og and Shion and, and all the, the kings and the, the powerful nations in the promised land. And you gave, you know, our forefathers victory on over all those things. And it would give them hope and strength in their present position with the Persian kingdom as well and with their neighbors around trying to take advantage of them. Now, you came through before. You're going to come through again. And again, I like that. You know, they, they delighted themselves in your great goodness. Just, just a total underlinable, you know, thing to remember there. Just, he, he just gave them so much that, you know, they were filled and grew fat. Just how much he blessed them. But verse 26, we have, nevertheless... So nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourselves. And they worked great provocations. Verse 27 says, Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. And obviously, he's talking about the time of the judges now. But after they had rest, they, did again, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, huh? And testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Again, bringing them back, reminding them, hey, what's giving you strength? What are you really longing for? You know, what, what, what are you looking for? What the fulfillment and satisfaction is not found in this stuff. It's found in me. And, and, and living for me and being a part of my plan and design for you, bringing them back to that. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgment, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. In verse 30, for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them or forsake them. 
For you are God, gracious and merciful. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. For our kings and our princes and our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. And, and again, you know, he goes through this list. They, they go through this. Actually, there was a number of them talking and probably reading all this, the Levites there. But, you know, they rebelled against God. You know, they, he, they had so much. And, you know, God warned them, listen, when you have so much and you have this and everything's easy and comfortable and all this stuff, you know, there's this big temptation for all of us back in that day and this day just to, you know, oh, I don't really need to worry about the things of the Lord. Oh, you know, I don't really worry about that. I don't really need that. Everything's kind of going good. But, you know, when things hit rock bottom, boy, praying's easy, reading the Bible's easy, going to church is easy, you know, going to the Lord and talking about these things. He, he understands our nature. He does. And he knows that. And that was what's going on with them. They just were on easy street and they allowed that to, you know, move God into the background until he became farther and farther in the background and they'd move farther and farther away. And then they were entertained by all the things that the world had to offer. Oh, the Canaanites used to do this. Yeah. Oh, they, they, these guys did that. Oh, they can go. Oh, you can do that. Uh, wow. That's a, that looks like a fun party, man. I like to get involved in that. I like to do that. And, you know, and then they just left all what God had told them to do in the dust. So many blessings, and they forgot about the Lord. Thinking somehow that they did it. You know, it's funny how your mind can trick you. You know, oh yeah, we're, we wiped out those guys because we're so good. Oh, I made that money because, you know, I, I, that was a good decision I made. Or I was able to get this because of that. Or I was able to do this because of, you know... Something in some way, it was up to you or what you did. And, you know, uh, he wanted them to be desperate for him. Having too much as a way of just moving that desperation for him out of our lives. And even through the centuries of Israel's sin, as it said in verse 29, God continued to be patient and admonish them by His Holy Spirit through the prophets, you know, in verse 30, and, and, and just reminding them, you know, God's so faithful, right? Hey, this is the wrong path, this is the wrong path. You know, my old tired illustrations, you know, um, you, you know you're driving down Highway 1, and then, you know, you see the sign, road construction ahead, and then you know, another half mile, uh, right lane closed ahead. And then, you know, after that, you start seeing some cones on the side. And then there's a big arrow that shows you to point over. And then, you know, finally the cones start going on and, you know, you get to the work. And, you know, if you will, you know, Caltrans is very well versed in, in, in making sure there's all this information, all these warnings, all this, you know, knowledge a reminder, 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 reminder that this is coming up ahead. And, you know, God in the same way does that. He reminds us through His Word, when we're praying, through His Holy Spirit speaking to us, through other people, you know, through a message like this, or you're listening to something on the radio, or, you know, on your phone or something, or, uh, you know, somebody shares with you something. You know, He just, He, he speaks to us in so many ways. And, 
particularly when we're off course, and he'll send the warnings out over and over again. That's what he was doing with them. But they kept, nah, nah, nah. It's like, you know, seeing all those signs and you keep staying in the right lane. Eventually, you know, you're going to start running into a bunch of cones and a sign. And eventually you're going to, there's going to be that big truck with that huge, you know, crash protection on the back to protect the workers. You know, that big crash protection thing. And they put it on this big, huge truck. So it's got a lot of weight on it. And, you know, and, and you're going you're gonna to hit that if you stay there. It's just going to be this wake-up call, literally, and the airbags are going to be in your face, and you're going to get jarred back and all that stuff. If you survive it, you know, you're going to be, because, you know, you just ignored all that, and that's what happened here, and finally they were taken into exile, verses 30 and 31 said. And, again, um, they had so much in front of them um that they had learned and their mistakes of the, of, the, of the forefathers, that they understood all this. And then looking back, again, reminded them through the history of the, the goodness of God and, and where they blew it, as we talked about. And they're praying all this to the Lord, and they're you know, re- reminding themselves as they're you know, re- you know, reminding the Lord and thanking Him for His goodness and, and His patience and His love. They could clearly see the mercy of God working over and over again, through this situation, through that, through that, through this, and all those things we just listed. And again, we need to see that, too. I think that's so important. You know, see God's mercy in our situation. See the grace He gave us through that. And we did this, and, you know, over there, and all, you know, all the mercy and grace that He shows us constantly through our lives. He's so patient with us, and He loves us so much. And He's always trying to draw us back. You know, He's the God who pardons who wants restoration, who loves, is full of kindness and mercy and all that we just read there. People today have this warped concept of our Heavenly Father or God as they would refer to Him for the most part. And I, I just think it's so important. One of the things we need to do is to set that straight as we have opportunity. Because, you know, people have all these crazy concepts of him. You know, either he's the God that, you know, is, is ready to, to, to zap you if you do something wrong. And so you always kind of have to keep on his good side and you become kind of superstitious. And so then when you go into church, you know, you think, oh, man, I better not go this Sunday because, man, I was, yeah, Friday night wasn't a good night. Or, you know, uh, you know he, if I walk through the, you know, you've, you've probably met people that have said, man, if I walk through your church door... I won't make one step inside. I'll be a dead man, right? You've probably heard people say that to you before when you invited them to church. You know, if I stepped inside the church, that would be it, man. I just, my heart would stop literally. You know, they, they think that's who God is. Or that he doesn't care. That he's so far off and he's not involved and doesn't care. And, and uh, you know, he's just up there somewhere. I, I believe it, you know, he's up there somewhere, but he's just really not anything. You know, he doesn't do anything. That's not true either, as we can see, providing for them. You can see it in, in so much, not to repeat all that. But again, you know, his love and his mercy and how he's reaching out. And, you know, I, I, again, you know, the only way a person gets into hell is by literally stepping over and on, you know, the work of Jesus on the cross. 
by rejecting, you know, the Holy Spirit and, and God's call in a person's life over and over and over and over and over and over again. And usually it's a whole lifetime of that. And many and various circumstances and situation, you know, a person that winds up in hell literally, you know, has done so um, working very hard against all the things that the Lord has put to draw them to Him. Because His heart is that everybody comes to know Him, that everybody becomes His child, that everybody enters eternity with Him. And not to is a person full of rejection and bitterness and anger and hate and rejection and over and over and over and over and all those other things. And we need to have a very clear picture of who our Heavenly Father is and, and, and continue to share that. And so they realize all this, and the last few verses here um, brings them up to date, and verse 33 says this, However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, we have done wickedly. Oh, how important it is for them to realize that for us to see that you know all the things that happen is boy it's because we deserved it and you didn't even give us what we deserved you know uh you were faithful and all that but you know you had to do something to get our attention and other things that we had said verse 34 neither our kings nor our princes our priests or our fathers have kept your law nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn their uh, turn from their wicked works. And again, you know, uh, he, he just goes on, you know, through, through their history and summing it all up. You know, she experienced hardship because of the disobedience. Because that was, I, I want to say, you know, the, the father's last resort. You're just not getting it. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. Okay, this is what's going to have to happen so you can get it. And so obviously they did get it, and they're bringing it back, and now they're back there because they did get it. And, and the leaders should have known better, and the priests, and, and the, the rulers, and all, all those should have known better. But at the end of the day, everyone had their part in the disobedience. And yes, the leader should have known better, but nobody is innocent and nobody can say, well, you know, I, there was a situation I was in. You know, I, I, I didn't do any of that. I was born in Babylon. I didn't do any, you know. Everybody has to understand their part in the disobedience. And, and you can't, if you start doing the blame game in your Christian walk, you know, or, or why you're not a Christian because there's all these blame and all these reasons and everything, man, you'll just never get anywhere. And even as a believer, as a Christian, you start blaming, well, I'm like this way because of this, and I have this, and this, and this caused me to do this. And, you know, never mature and grow up. You, you have to own it, as we say today. And that's what they're doing here. Everyone had a part in it. Verse 35 said, For they have not served you in their kingdom, or in the many good things you gave them, or in the large and rich 
land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked ways, as we just read. You know, they didn't serve the Lord, they served themselves. He gave them so much, but they turned their backs on him, and somehow they thought in their own minds, hey, we're still good people. You know, I'm a good person. You know, why would God be upset at what I'm doing, or how I'm living, or how I'm acting? You know, I'm, I'm a good person in my heart, <laughs> right? People would say today, you know, I'm not a good person. I'm really not a bad person. I know some bad people, and I've heard of some bad people, and I read about them in the newspaper, I see them on the news, but I'm not one of those. I'm a good person, you know? And I got my own things, but I'm still a good person. You know, that's what they thought. Look where it got them. And, you know, they're acknowledging the fact that it was wrong. And finally here, they'll pray about their present, situa- present situation. Verse 36, Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants in it. It yields much increase to the kings you have set over us. Because of our sins, also they have dominion over our bodies, and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. They wind up and they realize here that they are slaves in their own land. I, 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 don't, know how to, I don't know how to describe that. It's like somebody coming into your house or your apartment and, you know, all of a sudden ordering you around and telling you when you can eat and you're doing their clothes and and washing their dishes and you're cooking their meals and you know somebody just walks off the street and just you know all wait a minute this is my place and those are my things and you know who are you to come in and tell me to do all this you know it would obviously it would you know be a horrible thing but that's what was going on with them being slaves meant they had to pay taxes to persia and Judah's governmental leaders had to give to the Persian kings, and they had to pay tribute from the, the fruit of the land. The, the land produced a lot, but they get, were able only to keep so little. It made it very hard. And notice they say they were in great distress. Nothing, in a sense, was theirs because they were really, at the end of the day, controlled by the Persians and all that the Persians had put in power over them. And here they are realizing that. This is what you gave us, and yet we're serving these guys that are way over there. Yet in their difficult situation, they were committed to do to the Lord, to do His will, and to serve Him. So, verse 38, you know, they weren't, oh man, look at the situation we're in, so forget it, you know, all this stuff. No, God's Word, as we read, worked in their heart. Now they're spending time in prayer before the Lord. They're going over their history, they're confessing their sins, they're remembering all the goodness God did and all you know, that they had done an opposite of that and working against that. And now look at the situation we're in. And, but notice this in verse 38, just tune back in if you're tuned out for a little bit here. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. So after this long prayer and remembering this and then, and then crying out to the Lord how in distress they are, right? In great distress. Listen, no matter we're in this situation and no matter what happened before and all this, 
We are committed to you, Lord. That's what they're saying here. And we mean it. We're not just talking the talk. We're writing it down and we're going to sign our names to it that we are going to serve you and we want to do your will no matter what the circumstances are going around me right now and how bad it is, even though we're very distressed. Lord, we've seen you work great things and we trust you and we want to be in the center of your will. And we're not only just talking the talk, but we're writing it down. Now, why did they write it down? I, I, think, I think, you know, it was a good thing. That, you know, the temptation is when things do turn around and the pressure's off the Persian Empire or some things change and like it did in their past and God started blessing them again and now they're, you know, fat, sassy and happy or whatever, right? That, you know, that they could look back in this and said, nope, no, we're not going to get off course. We're going to write it down and look back and this is where we were, Lord, and this is where you brought us and so we don't want to get out of being in the center of your will. When temptation comes along to go off course, we don't want to do that. We're writing it down and we're putting our names on here saying we're committing ourselves to your will and your plan and who you are and not we don't want to go our own way like others have gone in the past or like we've done maybe earlier in our lives. And so it's all written down and they're saying, listen, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We're going to trust you. We're going to follow you. We're going to serve you. We're going to love you. And I think that's a great word for us today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for that. And, you know, many in their situation would say, well, you know, this or that, or, you know, make an excuse not to serve you because you're not doing this and you're not responding to what I want and doing what I want when I want it. And, you know, that can be our attitude sometime. And I love the attitude here, Lord. It's, it's not like that. They want to be committed to your word. They've heard from you. You've moved through them by your spirit. You've given them the, your word. They, they understand. They see the history. They've seen your love and who you are. Even when those around rejected your hand and your love and you're extended out them and giving them warnings and all this. And they didn't want to repeat that. And I, I, I like that. They wanted to stand firm in who you are and what you had for them. And we, we have that same heart as well, Father. We thank you that you choose to give us your Holy Spirit to live in our lives, Lord, that we can do these things and hear from you 24-7. How wonderful it is, Lord. And may we always take advantage of it. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.